Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Twenty twenty two midterm elections are still more than a year away, but the battle to win those races has already begun in the form of redrawing legislative and congressional districts. This process, known as redistricting, happens every 10 years after census data is collected to better understand the U.S. population. Fights over the latest round of redistricting have really started to heat up because the outcome could have major consequences for which party controls Congress. We almost got the House back. We are four four votes right now from controlling what happens on the floor, right? We have everything working in our favor right now. We have redistricting coming up, and the Republicans control most of that process in most of the states around the country. That alone should get us the majority back. Historically, both Democrats and Republicans have fought to draw districts that would be more favorable for their own party. The rules that guide the redistricting process are different in every state, and it's those rules and processes that are now being challenged in the courts and in the political arena. So what will the outcome of these challenges tell us about how voters will be divided into districts for the next decade? And what can we learn about which party will emerge with the greatest advantage? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. My name is Colby Ekowitz, and I cover uh, redistricting and politics on the National Politics staff. I asked Colby to start with the basics of this whole redistricting process. So redistricting happens every 10 years. And what that means is because of population shifts, the congressional districts and the state legislative districts get redrawn to reflect the population of those states. So that happens every 10 years because it's based on data from the census. Right. So the once a decade census collection then results in changes in population across the country. And that gets distilled down to the state level, neighborhood level, and it allows for states to determine how to draw the lines and who should be represented. What factors from the census affect the way that those lines are drawn? Well, the way it's supposed to be is that every district is supposed to be equal in population, and you're supposed to keep together communities of interest. Now, communities of interest can mean any number of things. We can be talking about race. We can talk about school districts or counties. It's been interpreted many, many ways. Now, that hasn't always held true, though, because of something called gerrymandering. Now, gerrymandering is a term for drawing your districts in a partisan way. And so both parties have done this. The Republicans did it to great success 10 years ago. And so they would split up communities if it meant carving out a block of Democrats from a district that they wanted to keep safe for Republicans. 
or maybe they wanted to pack all of the Democratic voters into one seat so that they could draw a bunch of Republican districts around it. What is the process that a state has to go through in order to create these new congressional districts? So you get a bunch of census data. What happens next? So it's incredibly complicated because every state has different rules and different criteria for how they draw their maps. So there's no one-size-fits-all procedure that happens. But most of the states, it's the state legislatures. And so the state legislatures get the demographic data from the census, which is actually coming out in two weeks, six months later than normal. And usually there'll be some committee within the legislature made up of lawmakers who will work on drawing those maps. And then it gets approved by the state legislature and then the governor approves it. So that happens in about 37 states. Now, Republicans control most state legislatures and the governorships. So the Republicans are going to control most of that process in most states. Democrats have a handful and then a handful are split, meaning in many cases it's a Democratic governor and a Republican legislature. So then what happens is if they can't agree on a map, it'll go to the courts and the courts will have to draw the map for them. So those are the three scenarios that can play out for the states that have the lawmakers draw them. Now there's also this thing called commissions and some states have approved what are called independent commissions, which is just a nonpartisan outside entity that has no political interest that's going to draw the maps and those will be the maps. Then there are other states that have something called advisory commissions that have independent nonpartisan people sitting there drawing the maps for them, but then the legislature can override them. Then there's partisan commissions, and partisan commissions are when Democrats and Republicans both can choose who they want on this independent commission. So it doesn't make it that much better because it's still two groups of partisans deciding how to draw the maps and usually coming to loggerheads over that. And so what we're going to see over the course of the next year is a lot of legal battles over who's drawing it, what their motives were for drawing it, and the litigation is just going to be insane over the next year plus. So let's talk about what drives some of the contention around redistricting. Most of it comes down to gerrymandering, which you mentioned earlier, this idea that who's ever in charge of the map can draw it to benefit their own political party. So what happens as a result of, of all of this gerrymandering? What often happens is that you end up getting these very oddly shaped districts or you have districts that cut through numerous counties. So what ends up happening is that you have these districts that are drawn in really funny ways. They'll be funny shapes. And so what often ends up happening is that because they're more worried about keeping the Republican voters together and the Democratic voters together, you end up cutting up counties or cutting up school districts or maybe splitting what are, quote, called communities of interest. And that's where some of these lawsuits have come in. Before we get to the lawsuits, has this been a problem for Democrats? Democrats and Republicans alike, have both of them participated in gerrymandering in the past? Yes. Democrats and Republicans both gerrymander. Maryland is probably the most famous example of that by the Democrats. But the Republicans have successfully and deliberately won state legislatures across the country, knowing that by winning state legislatures, they run the redistricting process. So with Republicans having so much control over so many states that matter, these big swing states, particularly last time around, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, North Carolina, Michigan, they were able to draw those states in a way that guaranteed for the next decade that Republicans would have most of the seats in that state and they could keep the Democrats to a handful. And no matter how the state would swing in a presidential election year and a Senate race, the Republicans would still continue to have the majority of the seats in the House. So Democrats have raised concerns about this. They've been pretty outspoken, especially in recent days, about the concern that Republicans will redraw district lines to create these favorable conditions for them to win future elections. 
Is there merit to those concerns from Democrats? Are we seeing evidence that Republicans are doing this with political intent? Are they speaking about it publicly? What's that public discourse been like? Yeah, I mean, there's some Republicans that will, of course, say, look, Democrats do it too. They'll say this is the consequence of elections, that we get to draw these districts as we want to draw them. But it's no secret to anyone that the way that these districts are drawn are to benefit one party or another in most cases. And what Democrats are most worried about and what's at highest stake this time around is that the Democratic majority in the U.S. House is so slim. Republicans really only need about five seats to take over the majority next year, which would essentially block the Biden administration's policy agenda for the rest of his first term. So Republicans hold the majorities, meaning the governor's and the state legislatures in four key states, Georgia, North Carolina, Texas, and Florida. What's important about those four states is those four states are also states that are getting additional seats based on reapportionment. Now, reapportionment is when you look at the census data, you see which states have grown in population and which states have decreased in population, and you shift their congressional seats accordingly. And so states like Pennsylvania and Illinois are losing seats, but North Carolina, Texas, Georgia, and Florida are all gaining seats, which means right away, there's an advantage to the Republicans going into this process. Is gerrymandering, we've talked about how it's so politically contentious. Is it legal? Is it legal to overtly state that you have political intentions in reshaping some of these districts? It's interesting you ask that because as of last year, at least at the federal level, the Supreme Court decided that it was not up to them to rule in cases regarding partisan gerrymandering. So the federal courts will not take up cases where one party or another are complaining that districts have been drawn in a partisan way. So those fights are all going to play out at the state level. And different state courts have different rules about whether or not you can or can't sue based on partisan reasons. The best avenue for suing over districts is about race, is about this issue of communities of interest, this idea that you're breaking up people that should, in fact, vote together. You mentioned that most of this will play out in the courts at the state level. So are there existing lawsuits that are progressing through the courts now? Some Democrats have preemptively filed lawsuits. There's a new organization that was started by Obama's attorney general, Eric Holder, to be proactive around redistricting. Democrats were caught a little flat-footed in 2011 by how prepared the Republicans were to gerrymander these key states and to take control of the House for as long as they did. So this new Democratic group run by Eric Holder has preemptively filed lawsuits in three states. Those states are Pennsylvania, Minnesota, and Louisiana. And the reason why they filed them in those three states is because those are three states that have Republican legislatures and Democratic governors. And what the lawsuits basically say is this process is going to be gridlocked. They're not going to produce a map. And so it should be up to the courts to draw the maps. What the Democrats are hoping is that the state courts will be favorable to them because they had been favorable to them during the voting rights debates over this last year. If you think back around the 2020 election when former President Trump was saying that the election was rigged, there wasn't a single state court that actually agreed that they were significant enough issues to overturn any of the 2020 results. And so the Democrats look at that and they hope then that the state course will be fairer when it comes to redistricting as well. It's important that you mention that because this context of gerrymandering and redistricting is playing out amongst the other moments in our country where we're facing voting rights battles. So how does this kind of fit in with the other voting rights battles we're seeing? So if you talk to voting rights advocates, if you talk to Democrats, they see them as an extension of the same issue. 
issue. And what they say is that it's different ways that Republicans are trying to hold on to power or control the election process. And what concerns Democrats the most is that if you have more state legislatures and if the House are controlled by Republicans, that means more of the voting laws that we've seen be passed in some of these Republican states getting passed, which Democrats will argue limits access to voting for certain groups of people. And there could also be concern around the certification of the 2024 presidential election. And so if certain Republicans are in charge of the House or in certain states, there's not enough guardrails to protect from that. You could see a scenario in 2024 where there would be a refusal to certify the results. So have there been an increase in safeguards against this gerrymandering process over time? Or have we seen some of those guardrails fall off, let's say, since the last census? Yeah. So like I mentioned, um, you can no longer sue in federal court over partisan complaints. So that's one less avenue for Democrats or Republicans, but it's mostly Democrats on offense in this process for Democrats to sue over these maps. There was also the watering down of the 1965 Voting Rights Act, and that took out a provision that required certain states with issues around race, when they would make changes to election laws, they'd have to clear it through the Justice Department. And that included their redistricting maps. And so before they were able to change their maps, the Justice Department had to come in and say, okay, this is fair based on race. And now there's no more preclearance. So states like Texas, Georgia will no longer have to run their maps through the Justice Department. So those are two things that actually allow for potentially more gerrymandering to occur. The one thing that is going to help is the amount of transparency and awareness around these issues and the fact that there is technology that allows basically the average citizen who's interested to draw their own maps. And so it will be very clear when Republicans draw a super gerrymandered or ever Democrats draw a super gerrymandered map that there'll be advocacy organizations and citizens who will be able to input the data and say, wait, 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 you could have drawn it like this and that would have been way fairer on all these other criteria. Will these lawmakers care that people can see through what they're doing with these maps? That remains to be seen, but there will at least be that public pressure on legislatures to draw quote unquote fairer maps. So most states haven't even begun really getting into the thick of their redistricting process. Yet at the same time, candidates' campaigns for the 2022 midterm term elections have begun. How does this add up? Can districts be drawn amidst a campaign? Will that cause a lot of chaos and have repercussions? So this is the big question because there are candidates that are running or want to run. They want to file their candidacies to run for the House and they don't know exactly who their voters are going to be. They might have some general sense based on where they live, but specifically where their district lines or boundaries will be, they don't know. And that's going to cause a lot of confusion because we're running on a compressed timeline right now. Because the pandemic delayed census results coming out, states would normally have gotten the data that they need to draw these maps in the spring, but they're not getting them until August 16th. And so that's about five, six months later than they normally get this information. And so when you start having candidate filing deadlines coming in the beginning of next year, there will be situations where candidates will have to file without really knowing. So how that plays out will remain to be seen and we'll be following that extremely closely, but it's sure to be incredibly complicated and confusing 
as we go forward. So on the note of the 2022 midterms, one thing that strikes me about gerrymandering is not only will you get districts that have sort of one demographic of people or only one kind of party or one community of interest, but that can have further effects in the sense of creating more extreme candidates, candidates that know how to target their messages to a very specific group of voters and therefore can be kind of extreme in their beliefs. And then we end up with more extreme candidates in the House. Is this something that's come up in your reporting? Is this something that people are concerned about with gerrymandering? Well, that's the biggest argument that people make against gerrymandering is that basically you're ensuring that a lawmaker is going to have a safe, quote unquote, Republican district or safe Democratic districts. And so their voters are all going to be like-minded. And so whoever wins the primaries in those districts are guaranteed essentially to win the general election. So those candidates don't ever have to listen to or even care about what people of other political persuasions have to say. And I was talking to someone who has written two books on redistricting. And what he told me is that what made him interested in gerrymandering was the debate over gun violence after Sandy Hook. And he looked at the makeup of the country and he looked at the percentage of Americans who supported background checks, even assault weapon bans, and that was in the 70s and 80s, even 90%. And yet the majority of the House was opposed to it. So how could that be? How could you have 90% of America support a thing but then the majority of the House not pass that thing. And the reason is because these Republican districts are drawn in such a way that they are beholden to a very conservative base or a very liberal base, and there's not a lot of voters in the middle. In bigger states, they've drawn so-called swing districts. Maybe there's one or two where you see it switch back and forth between a Democrat or a Republican representative or switch between an Obama voter and then a Trump voter and then a Biden voter. But gerrymandering has ensured that those districts are few and far between. So is the conclusion here that we're headed on a path of further division, that whatever party wins state legislatures will continue to gerrymander districts to meet their political interests and further divide the country? Is there any way out of this? So the voting rights bills that are currently pending in Congress have a provision that would move all redistricting to independent commissions and take that power away from politicians. Of course, that legislation is stalled. And so for the foreseeable future, while there will be a lot of lawsuits around these maps this time around, and there will be state courts intervening, I think it's important to note that Pennsylvania and North Carolina had severely gerrymandered maps. And in 2018, courts came in and made them redraw them to be fair. And what you saw when that happened is in Pennsylvania, these districts around Philadelphia that had been Republicans for the last several cycles suddenly were won by Democrats because those districts would not guarantee one party would win every time for the next 10 years. All right, Colby, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. If you want to hear more about how gerrymandering has affected midterm elections in the past, check out our special Can He Do That series from back in 2018 called How to Flip the House. You can find a link to that in our show notes. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Arjun Singh and Sharla Freeland with logo art from Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Muldoon. Thank you. 
If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat. Available now.